Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Tuesday, November 23rd, 2021. And today will be better than yesterday. Producing from, Taylor, where are you producing from today? I am in the great state of Maryland at my mother's house for the week. Very excited to be down here. It's been a while since I've spent an extended amount of time in the old Lion State. So I'm, I'm hanging with family, hanging with friends. Cooking a uh, cooking the turkey for Thanksgiving. Brought the smoker down with me in the trunk. I'm uh, I'm ready to go, man. Nice. I'm uh, I'm in New York. I'm going to be headed uh, up to Vermont, hang out with my siblings, uh, and I'm I think I'm going to try a few a uh, few dishes be- before we get to my world famous uh, Vermont mashed potatoes. Very nice. I, I would love to have some of your Vermont mashed potatoes. That that sounds delicious. Yeah. Well, if there's any leftover, because usually, you know, royalty from around the world asks for my Vermont mashed potatoes. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, deals that have happened this week. The Giants uh, re-signed Anthony DiScalfani to a three-year, $36 million contract. And they reportedly also have made a lot of progress in their talks with Alex Wood. So the Giants filling out their rotation. The Angels paid big for lefty reliever Aaron Loop yesterday. Two years, $17 million deal. It includes a $2 million buyout and a third uh, third year option. Steven Matz, according to the New York Post, will get a deal probably sometime in the next five days. There's a bunch of teams, including the Red Sox and the Blue Jays, in on that bidding. First pitch is part of ESPN Nation, brought to you by Dr. Pepper. College football is back, and so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. According to our Jeff Passan, Pedro Severino, catcher, and the Brewers have uh, agreed to a one-year, $1.9 million deal. Eduardo Rodriguez, who agreed to terms on that five-year, $77 million deal last week with the Tigers, was introduced by Detroit. This is one of I feel like the best day of my life. Just have this kind of contract and then have this welcome with all you guys here. Uh, it's just for me. Just get here, uh, go to Lakeland, start spring training, it, get ready for get ready for next season. You know, and, and like I say, do my part to 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 win a championship as much as I can. Go out there every five days, do the best for uh, give you the opportunity to win some games every time I can. You know, and. And I can't wait to get to know all my teammates down in, in Lakeland and I'm gonna start knowing all of them and they know they know me and and be as a family and be part of that family that you guys you guys already had together and I just wanna be part of it. Noah Syndergaard was introduced by the Angels, having signed a one year deal last week for twenty one million dollars. It's a great place for me to have a, a brand new fresh start, clean slates. Um, the last two years during this rehab process has been Pretty grueling to learn a lot about myself. Um, you know, just wanted a, a fresh start to get back to, to my to my old self. Um, you know, it was a, a no-brainer once I had that sit-down meeting with Perry. Had a really um, in-depth um, plan of attack to get me back to where I was 2015, 2016, 2018, and uh, you know, not pitching for two years. He had a a great game plan that I'm 100% confident in that's going to keep me healthy and allow me to, to flourish and blossom to my true potential. I think it's going to be a, a perfect fit because not pitching for the last two years and coming off uh, serious surgery and injury, um, I'm going to be limited with my, my innings limit or my innings amount. Um, so I think the six-man rotation is definitely going to help me keep me healthy. Boston Red Sox exercised their club options on manager Alex Cora for the 2023-2024 seasons. Uh, Cora, 46 years old, is 284 and 202 in his record. And I was uh, you know, texted him yesterday that uh, through 2024, if he has normal type seasons, only two Red Sox managers in history, Joe Cronin and Terry Francona, will probably have more wins than Alex at that time. Baseball tonight is fueled by Gatorade. Gatorade's proven formula, whatever path you take, greatness starts with G. And one last note, David Ortiz and Alex Rodriguez were among 13 first-timers on the Baseball Hall of Fame ballot. It's, of course, the last time that Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens will be eligible for election from the Baseball Writers Association of America. What do you got, Taylor? 
Buster, a couple things. Swaggoo and Perk, they have uh, episode four out right now as of this morning on Tuesday. They are discussing the fallout uh, from LeBron James and Isaiah Stewart, uh, their kerfuffle on the court, uh, the bloodletting there in in Detroit. And uh, they're also talking about the inspirational themes from the movie King Richard. Heard good things about that. Also, you should listen to Bald Men on Campus. We're recording an episode tomorrow, Wednesday, after one versus two UCLA Gonzaga. And we're going to preview Gonzaga Duke, among all the other goings-ons uh, with Feast Week uh, with Seth, Jay, and Fonz. And uh, finally, the College Football Podcast. We are staring down Rivalry Week, the last week of the regular season from Sunday to Thursday. New episodes, uh, each one different with a different pairing of guests. So check those out as you get ready for some college football over the weekend. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Jesse Rogers covers baseball for ESPN. Jesse, how you doing? I, well, I know how you're doing because we're doing this interview on Zoom and you're all tan, <laughs> uh, you know, looking like you've been hanging out on a beach. And I can imagine you probably do well in a beach vacation. I, I imagine you like to, to lie in the sun. That is a good assumption. You know me well, Buster, uh, especially right after uh, a traveling all of October, as you know, how that can go during the playoffs and then the general managers meetings, you need to unwind a little bit. And a beach vacation is, is basically what I do annually with my wife. So it was a nice reset, but uh, you know, the hot stove season goes on no matter if you're on a beach or you're back at home. So I'm, I'm somewhere, I'm right back in the thick of things here. Well, the hot stove season goes on at least for another week. Yes. Good point. <laughs> good point. Maybe I should take my vacation in two weeks. I don't know. Right. Exactly. When yeah. the winter meetings are supposed to happen. Uh, anyway, let's uh, before we get to all that in an article that you posted in ESPN.com where you get predictions from executives around baseball. Uh, yesterday, the uh, National Baseball Hall of Fame released its ballot for this year. Uh, give me something that you're really curious about this year and this year's voting, because every year's voting, as you know, is very different. Well, as soon as they released the ballot, I tweeted out the guys that are going to be on it for the final time, you know, Bonds and Clemens and these guys, and then the newcomers like David Ortiz. And I simply asked at the end of my tweet, do the steroid guys get in, especially the ones on the ballot for the last time? And Busters, you can imagine nothing has changed over the years. The responses I got were so polar opposite from one to the next for 20 minutes. It was just back and forth, put them all in. People were throwing Pete Rose in there. 
Don't let them in. It was back and forth. So this is a polarizing topic. And I see both sides of this. That's why it's a great debate. I really still do. Um, I have softened my stance. I, I, if I was deciding this thing, I would pr- certainly put Barry Bonds in, starting with the fact that I thought he was a Hall of Fame player before the Roy era took over. So that's number one. But I probably would put most of these guys in because I know almost for a fact there already are guys in. Um, we can go through the names. You know, other people talk about Mike Piazza. Other people talk about Bagwell, Bishop, and all these guys. You know, we've heard this before. I think at the end, the point has been made. You didn't deserve to be on the first nine ballots. You didn't deserve to get in those the first nine times. I think there's going to be some guys that get in. I think um, the fact that David Ortiz is on the ballot, uh, that you know maybe voters send a message. He doesn't get in right away, but he's going to get in. Um, I also feel like my colleagues have softened their stances in some areas to allow this to go in this direction. But I am curious, uh, does one, does Bonds get in and not Clemens? Do, do, do two of them get in? I mean, I, I am curious which ones get in, if any, um, because I don't think it'll be all of them. Uh, but I do, des- I do think many are deserving at this point. The point has been made. Uh, at the time that David Ortiz retired, I wrote a column about how eventually he would uh, become a barometer for what was going to happen with a lot of these guys in the Hall of Fame voting. And Jesse, that moment is here uh, because he his name appears in the ballot. As you said, the last year, the Bonds and Clemens are on the ballot. Um, and, and I, I, I'd be fascinated and you, you know, you, you don't vote. Uh, I, uh, gave up my vote six, seven years ago because I thought that the hall of fame was bending its rules to, you know, and targeting bonds and Clemens in particular. Uh, and I just didn't feel comfortable with the idea of making news, but I'm fascinated by this because it's clear that there are a lot of voters who, if you're linked to PDs in any way, in a public way, uh, with some specific piece of information, they're not going to vote for you. And so, I'm, you know, David Ortiz is going to be an interesting test because, as you know, 2007, the New York Times published a piece that uh, David Ortiz tested positive in the survey testing of 2003. That was before there were actually rules against PD use in baseball. That was the year when uh, Major League Baseball, the Player Association, agreed to do testing of all the players to find out how widespread the issue was. Let's face it, you and I both know this was essentially built in there to give an opportunity to users to, <laughs> to get away from using it and to begin to make their adjustments. And so David Ortiz was one of, what, 104 names that popped up. There's been no information since. David did an interview this week in which he said, look, I've been tested more than anybody else. He wasn't suspended when baseball actually put a penalty phase in. And so I'm really curious to see what the writers do with that because, yeah, Barry Bonds, uh, while he uh, is mentioned in the Mitchell report and, you know, he gave testimony in the Balco case where he acknowledged using but not knowingly using Roger Clemens was mentioned in the Mitchell report. But it's not like either one of those guys were were uh, were uh, suspended. So I'm really curious about what the writers do with David Ortiz, because I, I can't I don't think you can handle David Ortiz's case any differently than Bonds or Clemens. But I get a feeling a lot of voters will. What do you think? I I agree with the last thing you said. I don't think you can handle it differently. Now, I I think it's wrong to just go off the survey. I think that was supposed to be not. I think I know it was supposed to be private. It should never have been leaked. It was it should not be used against people. But there's common sense buster and common sense tells us 100 percent. There were there are users that are in. Again, I'll go back to what I said before. The point has been made in a normal situation. Bonds would have been a unanimous first year choice. Now he's in his final year. He should probably get in and, and, a, and a few of these other guys. Now, my exception to the rule is this. If your, hall, if, your career, if your Hall of Fame career was purely made by using, and this is a judgment call, then you shouldn't get in. And I would probably put Sammy Sosa in that category. Yep. I mean, his Hall of Fame career is purely made by the 60-plus home runs that he hit. And how did he hit them? Come on. Where Bonds and even Clemens had – Unbelievable careers before. Anyway, we, we're going down this rabbit hole. I don't disagree with you about Ortiz, but I think he should probably be treated the same as those other guys to answer so, your question. Let me ask you a question. Do we have any positive tests for Sammy Sosa? No. Uh, no. no. Do we have any specific information linking to Sammy Sosa to PEDs? 
No. Other than other than speculation. Look, you and I are not naive. Like right, I think we, right. you know, everybody assumes. But in terms of the writer's stance, uh, I, I think it as I've written many, many times, I think they go down a slippery slope uh, once they try to come up with a logic pretzel for keeping some of these guys out. Uh, I, I mean, I agree. I agree. It, it, you know, it, we're all put in a tough spot, but I'm using common sense. As you said before, you don't just automatically hit 60 home runs three years in a row. And then it, it never happens again in the history of the game. Right. I mean, it's just, it's, it's common sense. So that's my opinion. So last year bonds uh, polled at 61.8%. That's 63 votes short among 401 voters. That is an enormous amount. Uh, it is a lot. 61.6%, basically identical. And again, I don't know how you vote for bonds and not vote for Clemens or vote for Clemens and not vote for bonds. They're in the exact same situation based purely on production. They're two of the all-time great players of all time. Uh, the disqualifiers, the, the issue of PDs. Do you think those two guys will get in? Well, that is a lot of votes short. I know a couple people that are going to vote for them that hadn't. That's why I said a couple of my colleagues but to, to imagine you're saying 63 have to vote, have to change their minds. That that seems like a lot. I, I could see a dozen change, saying, OK, it's the last ballot. Maybe a dozen. Maybe. I mean, I think there's also people that if for nine years you haven't voted for them, you're never going to vote for them. So even if there's a handful, I don't think they'll get to 63. I didn't know that was the number that was needed. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm highly doubtful. Boy, Bonds is just I. I that guy was on a on a track for the Hall of Fame without it. I mean, just just stop his career at at ninety eight or whatever year you want to, or two thousand, and he's in. So I I would vote for him. I get I agree with you. It's hard to vote for one and not the other, but to me, at least one's a slam dunk. It would be Bonds. Yeah, and your initial point that look, the Hall of Fame already has guys who use steroids that have been voted in, and the idea that you're going to keep Bonds and Clemens out. You know, the comparison I've always made. It's like standing on the side of a highway with a radar gun and pulling off two cars going 60 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour zone. And you grab them and you hold them up for the mob. These guys are are these guys <laughs> broke the law as right. cars just zoom, zoom by. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great comparison. I don't know why, Buster, at this point, we, we haven't settled on the idea like let's put them in and history will tell the story of the steroid era. It'll tell itself. You could. Put it on the plaque if you want. Put it in a certain section. But history will tell that story. It's not going to be ignored. Uh, when kids are old enough in 20, 30 years and they say, well, why did all these guys hit 60 home runs? The story will be told. So I, I've, I've softened my stance. I'm, I'm OK with not getting in on their first year 10 years ago. But but by now, I think it's it's deserving. It's deserving, especially considering everything we said about people already in that used. To your point, Bonds and Clemens are named in the Mitchell Report, uh, which is a demerit, which is going to stand forever. And I'm well on record that the Mitchell Report's a joke. The idea that you're pulling 86 players out of thousands, minor leaguers, yeah. major leaguers use PDs, but that is what it is. Kurt Schilling, before we move on, Kurt Schilling, 71.1%. What do you think? I think he gets in this year. Yeah, I, I do too. I do too. Um, I hope he gets in. He deserves to get in. And I don't, I don't, I don't want us as a, as a, you know, as a union, our writing union to be considered that political. If it, it, based on the merits, he, he should get in. And I think he will. Yep. Uh, 100%. Uh, before we get to the off season market and what's to come in the article that you wrote, tell me what uh, you hear about the labor situation. Uh, since last week, I basically picked up no change. There's an expectation that there will be a lockout. Yeah. I like the analogy Jeff Passon used in a column last week or 10 days ago. One side speaking English and one side speaking, I'm sorry, one side speaking Spanish and one side is speaking French. It's just there's talking going on, but they're not listening. I mean, the best example is if, if this was a true negotiation, one side would say, you know, free agency at 29 and a half years, which is what the league is offering. And the other side would say, no, we want it at 26. And then they'd start negotiating to 28 or something. That's not happening. One side's giving a proposal. The other side's giving a proposal, but they're not playing off of each other. They're not really doing any of that. Nope. And this has been on this kind of a path for months. So I, I, I know that the commissioner, and he spoke the other day in the league, is trying to uh, get everybody ready for those headlines that are coming. And the headlines will make the league look bad. And they want to say, no, this is just a negotiating tactic. When you see 
lockout December 2nd in bold letters uh, in the New York papers, Chicago, wherever. Don't freak out. Don't blame us. We're trying. It's a negotiating tactic to lock them out. So league is starting to play the PR game. I, I you know, I'm usually pro union, but a pro player, like a lot of us are, they're the stars and everything. But I will say, I don't think they've really been interested in anything, but getting to this point where that headline appears and then maybe they'll get serious about a negotiation. So I can see fault on both sides. I can put blame on both sides. Uh, but maybe this is what this offseason was going to be anyway. Just let's let's use December and January to get to an agreement in Feb- by February so this thing cannot so we don't miss games. But it's just weird. Why not negotiate for real right now? And everyone tells me, well, it's not a deadline until games are threatened. Um, so yeah, stop speaking different languages and maybe we'll make some progress. Yeah. I think it's really stupid. Uh, quite frankly, uh, on, it's you know, silly. It's almost it, silly. Well, and I think that, cause you, you know, as I've had my conversations with Jeff uh, a couple weeks ago and then Carl Ravitch last week, and now with you, um, I don't, you know, we always talk about, well, they need a real deadline and which let's face it doesn't come until late February, early March in, in terms of affecting the season. Well, God dang, treat December 1st like a real deadline. Because you know what happens if you don't, and we actually do have this lockout, then owners are going to have a tough time selling tickets. And you know who's going to suffer for that? Uh, besides you know, individual teams losing some revenue, the players are going to suffer for that. The middle class is going to get gouged among the players. And if unless you are absolutely aiming for substantive change, if you feel like, you know what, we can win this thing. We can... You know, get uh, free agents, and I'm just making this up. We can get free agency after four years. We can get young players paid. If you don't think you can, then make your best deal now. Yeah. So you, you know, that the players aren't hurt. Uh, you know, the motivation from the from the teams would be that the teams aren't hurt. It's just stupid. It's To me, it would be like, you know, two people just standing in a bar and, you know, throwing like 10 punches. They both bleeding, and then they go, oh, never mind. I mean, if you're going to go down this path, you better damn well want to win the thing. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, I absolutely. Don't think it makes any sense. Yeah, and the league wants to remind the players it's, they have the best union, um, no cap, all these things, and they're all true. And the union wants to get players paid younger. So, like, there's there's a middle ground to be found here, It's it, and it will be found. There, baseball will happen again, but why can't it be found sooner? I, I, I don't understand either. Um you know, we could go down this rabbit hole as well. Just just the, the sides and the dynamics of it all. The bottom line is there are certain things that they can agree upon. And I think even the league would say, yes, we understand players want to get paid younger. We get it. 30 year old free agents are no longer in vogue. You know, OK, let's work off of that. Both sides hate arbitration. Let's work off of that. Um, OK, maybe the maybe the players would drop service manipulation service time because that only affects a handful of players. And, and then the and the league will give them something like they're, they're, well, we know there's a middle ground to be found here. We do. Neither side wants to completely overhaul the system. And that gets to your point. And if you're not going to completely overhaul the system, then then find that middle ground now. And let's let's forget about the negative headlines the next two months. Yeah. And you and I know that, you know, the Carlos Correa's and Corey Seager's are going to get paid. You know, the elite free agents are going to get paid. But if you're on the player's side, Think about what happened last winter. And this was apples and oranges because it was coming off the pandemic of season. But when deals were signed, Kike Hernandez, who's a really good major league player, he's not Carlos Correa. He's not Corey Seager, but he's a really good major league player. He got two years and $14 million. He should have gotten paid more. Mark Melanson was one of the best relievers in baseball in 2020. He got $3 million in a one-year deal. And guess what? That's what's going to happen if there's a long labor stoppage, that those guys in the middle are gonna get crushed. The one and two year guy, deal, the guys are gonna get destroyed. Yeah, it's real fascinating because of the uncapped system. You're right; those three hundred million dollar guys. I mean, the union wants that above all, right? That's the you know keep those guys. Those are the stars. Keep those guys getting paid. Um, and the league is like, well, you want to you want to keep getting them paid. And now you want us to pay the the bottom end, like something has to give here. So there's, there's just, um, you gotta, you gotta give it credit to the union. I mean, there are $300 million deals. We'll get to my, my exec survey. There are annually now $300 million deals. I mean, the top players are getting paid. It's what you go back to what you just said though. It's the bottom that has to come up 
And the league is offering some ways to do that because they don't mind paying the bottom if they can keep the top, the top from going, you know, skyrocketing the way it has. And the, the league, the union's like, no, 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 we got to keep skyrocketing. Those are our stars. And we'll figure out a way to pay these guys at a younger age, the, the, the bottom end. I'm going to dig more into this next week, but just to give you some numbers, Paul Ambikidis helped me dig out these numbers. Going to present them at some point. It's not the bottom, Jesse. It's the middle. In 2014, okay, if you – this was the system that Hembo came up with for me. Uh, If you throw out the 10 biggest contracts that winter and throw out anybody else who's making a million dollars or less, the average salary for those guys, the rest of the free agents, was $11.8 million. You know what that average salary – if you apply the same formula, throw out the top 10 contracts, $1 million or less in in the last winter, the average salary, $6.2 million, almost half cut by half. And so I, I get it. You know, uh, you're, you're going to want to serve the richest players in the union, but I think they need to do something to help those guys in the middle because they are getting crushed. But anyway, and, and that's what I meant. I meant middle more than bottom. I, you're yep. right. It's about the middle. No doubt. Okay. Uh, let's get to your survey that you had. Uh, you polled a bunch of executives. Uh, you asked them the question, which shortstop will get the biggest deal and for how much? Well, I, w- I wasn't surprised by the unanimous decision. It would be Correa, um, 27 years old, the youngest. Uh, I, I think he'll hold up well. People worry about his back. This is a big guy. Just won the platinum glove. I mean, his frame is perfect to move over, move over to third base if you need to eventually. So I'm not worried about his injury history that much. I mean, every player, you know, you, you worry a little bit. So I'm not surprised he was the choice. I was surprised at the numbers. I you know, we just talked about $300 million guys. I just, I, I thought maybe Lindor might, and, and Lindor and Tatis might be the last ones for a bit. I just, it felt like, you know, as soon as someone signed for 300 million, everyone starts criticizing the contract. So my point is this, when I heard executives say 12 years and 350, I was like, whoa, really? He's getting that much? The lowest, the lowest number was eight and 250. Uh, prediction from a from an executive for for Correa, so he's right there in the three hundred million dollar range. I, I just I don't know why. I just felt like I, I didn't think he'd get that much. Um, so I was a little surprised by the by the numbers, especially the high end guys were telling me eleven years. Again, the high end was twelve, so the average is right around ten years and and three hundred plus. So that surprised me, but not the fact that he was a unanimous choice for the for the biggest contract. I. I I think he's I think he's really good. I covered him in the in the playoffs and man, what an arm. Yeah, I, I think he, his offense still has room to grow. Um, you know, I don't I don't know that he's for sure uh the best offensive player in that shortstop class, but I do think he's the best player in that offensive short in that uh shortstop class when you include defense. So I I, I do like him as a player and he's turned into somewhat of a leader coming out of the scandal. Um, and everyone, a lot of people assume he's going to go to Detroit because of A.J. Hinch. But look, he's going to go where the best offer is. And it might be Detroit. But he's not going to take less to go play for A.J. Hinch. I don't believe that's going to be the case. When I read your poll it, it uh, and the reaction or the, the responses from the executives, it was a reminder for me about how while uh, front offices now like to talk about analytics and you have to trust the information uh, you know, over a broad sweep and you're not going to worry about past success or failure. It is a reminder that a lot of folks are still prisoners of the moment. I think if you had done this poll at the beginning of May, Trevor's story may well have been the number one guy, but then he hurt his elbow at the end of May. I did a similar poll with shortstops in October where I talked to 11 executives. Corey Seager at that time was the guy and now Correa is the guy. And guess that's not a surprise because what we saw in Carlos Correa was he was the best uh, you know, shortstop in the, in the postseason. So even among these really analytically savvy guys, there is a recency bias. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I will say Correa played it perfectly as well. Yes. He was doing interviews. I mean, I just recall it like before game four of the World Series, he's out there on the sidelines doing interviews, smiling like. He sold himself in October in a big way. I think the other guys, there's more of a, a worry, whether it be story, the injury coming out of Colorado, um, Seeger's injury history, you know, Simeon's age. Um, I just think Korea is the, is the complete package. 
but if, if he's going to win an MVP or something, he still needs to do more on offense. Like I still have, I don't think we've seen the quintessential offensive year out of him, in my opinion. Who's the biggest name is going to be traded according to the executive you talked to. Yeah. I mean, it's either Chapman or Olsen. And, and just because we know that Oakland is, is, is moving these no. guys and, and, and it's smart on Oakland to do it a year before they become free agents. You know what I mean? Two years before, to be honest. You know, and they, uh, so I think they want to max that out. Um, one, it, it sounds like Chapman is is really coveted. I mean, you know, offensively, oh, great. Okay, he's not going to maybe put up the hugest numbers, but man, defensively, teams want him. So Olson or or Chapman. Um, there were a few people that voted for for Buxton. It's either put up or shut up in, in, in Minnesota in terms of signing new, signing him to a long term deal. Um, but it, the A certainly seemed to be in sell mode. So it was kind of an easy picking for a lot of, a lot of executives. Oh yeah. And I think Matt Chapman, um, you know, a lot of it comes down to volume at a particular position, how teams, uh, you know, value a particular position. You and I have had a lot of talks off air, uh, about Anthony Rizzo at first base and that market is just tougher. Like Matt Olson is going to be, he's a great player, but Teams are not going to go nuts for him the way that they would Matt Chapman, but just because it's harder to find a third baseman who does what Matt Chapman does. Uh, I look at the Mets in Matt Chapman, and it feels like one of those one of those matchups that just seems inevitable to me. Does that make sense? Well, you know, it's funny because for a while we thought Chris Bryant to the Mets was was right. made a lot of sense. Well, that's not going to happen. So yes, uh, Chapman does. It's funny, you know, a year ago the Braves were in the third base market. It's funny how things change. Austin Riley. Yeah you know, explodes. So um, yeah, it, th- those markets change. It, it, it feels like every few months, but you're right about first base because it, it's just chock full of talent there. And um, you know, we took out a question out of our poll. I, I, I mean, is Freddie Freeman, the, the, um, the non shortstop that's going to get the biggest deal, even if it's from his own team, because we were, we were debating how to do like the, a non shortstop question and it just seemed like everything would come back to Freddie Freeman. Yeah. Yeah, right? he will. And I think I think the Braves and he will find a path. You know, we've read about, uh, you know, the he, the Braves have offered five. The, the His camp might want six. Uh, there might be a $65 million gap. When you start to look at it, you can thread that needle uh, pretty well. The bottom line is, and I've you know made this comparison in the past, his negotiation reminds me a lot of Jeter's negotiation with the Yankees. He's worth more to the Braves than any other team. The only wild card in that group, the Texas Rangers, who are trying to remake their brand. They're trying to change their clubhouse culture. And I ran that past some baseball executives and said, look, is there one team that you think will step up and pay, you know, potentially compete with the Braves? And I got back Rangers from everybody. That's the one yep, team to yep. watch. I don't think they will. That's a lot of money for you know, the Rangers to commit to a 32-year-old first baseman. We just talked about the high volume at that position. You know, you could theoretically, if you're the Rangers, pay Marcus Simeon and and pivot and say, you know what, we'll trade for Matt Olson. Oakland has no problem trading in the division, or we'll sign Anthony Rizzo for a lot less money than what we would pay Freddie Freeman. Yeah, I'm hearing Texas as well. They did well in attendance last year with a crappy team. Um, I was there on opening day when they allowed 40,000 in the ballpark. Remember, this was uh, April of 2021. And it was, it was, you know, we were just kind of pre-vaccine and everything. It was packed. That place is a, a good place to watch a game, although you're really high up. I will say that, but they did well in attendance without a very good team. And so um, just imagine if they do sign a few guys, I, I'm here in Texas as well. So look, Texas is going to get a shortstop. It sounds like Detroit's going to get a shortstop. I think the Yankees are going to get a shortstop. The Mariners are out there quietly looking you know, it's a game in musical chairs. How many to sign before December 1st, Buster? I, I, you know, maybe one or two, maybe. But I have a feeling that even though there's a flurry of signings now, some of the bigger names are going to wait it out. Yeah, I would agree with you. Um, I think what we're going to see a lot of in the next uh, week are a bunch of pitchers. The best of the one and two year reliever guys like Aaron Loop got the two year deal. Loop, yesterday. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and one of the team to watch for in the shortstop market, the Houston Astros. Uh, Jim Crane is, has absolutely signaled to people uh, in the industry that he's going to try to win and he's going to continue right. to try to add a guy. So. And we, and we kind of know what they're willing to spend based on what they've talked about with Correa. They right. won't go to, they won't go to 300, but maybe they'll, they'll spend 150 to two. So now you can, okay. Was Marcus Simeon kind of that guy at a little bit older age? 
you know, so you, you kind of know the type of player they're going to go after based on what they offered Correa. Right. Trevor Story, you know, Texas product. Yeah. You know, maybe that's that's who they go after. All right, Jesse, thanks for doing this. Always great to talk with you. You too, Buster. Have a great holiday. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter and producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how you doing? What uh, what do you got planned for Thanksgiving? I'm going to see the parents and watch a lot of football. Excited for that. You know, been watching more football here, obviously, over these last three weeks or so, getting back into it, remembering how everything works with baseball over. So uh, that will continue on Thanksgiving Day for sure. All right. So before we play the numbers game, give me a deal that's happened so far in this offseason that you really liked in terms of the player or the match for the team or the value of the deal. You can take it any way you want. I think it's got to be the Eduardo Rodriguez deal. I mean, I remember you uh, when he pitched on Sunday baseball towards the end of the year, you talking about that graphic I love so much with the comparison of his expected ERA and actual ERA in the 2021 season. He had a 350 expected ERA to go along with that 474 ERA. And the point there is that he pitched a lot better than he ended up sort of getting credit for. And the defense behind him may have let him down, whatever else, but the quality of contact that he allowed was far better than the results showed. And I think that just shows what we all sort of expect out of him and have seen in his career that there's a lot of potential there. So I love what the Tigers are doing. It's really fun to see a team that hasn't been competitive in a few years here, making a handful of different signings and trades. And I really like that one for them. You know, that's going to be an interesting test of uh, the feel versus analytics. Cause I, I think, I mean, you and I are in agreement that the analytics show that you can make a case that he's one of the 15 or 20 best pitchers in baseball from 2021. But you and I also have enormous respect for Alex Cora, the manager Absolutely. of the Red Sox. We talked about what a great feel he has for players and I don't know how much you know input he had directly, but between he and the coaching staff and the front office, they didn't really try to compete with him, which kind of tells me something about sort of what their feel about uh, you know paying him like an ace might be. Definitely. It's interesting. I mean, I think that for me, what happened with him, especially in 2021, really comes down to that defense behind him. And I, you know, we know that the Red Sox did not have a great defense. Not that the Tigers defense was particularly spectacular in 2021, but, you know, with Tucker Barnhart and everybody else, they seem to be building towards being a more competitive team. So I I do think that it's almost those elements that were beyond his control, but it is interesting because as you're saying, I mean, the Red Sox know him better than anybody. And the fact that they weren't out there making this kind of offer means that maybe they have a different understanding of the same numbers that you and I are looking at and have a different sort of projection of him moving forward. You know, it'd be fun, uh, just almost like a science experiment. If, uh, you know, in, if in fact, the Astros wind up lining, excuse me, the Tigers wind up landing Carlos Correa, and then the Tigers also traded for Matt Chapman. How different he would be with that left side of the infield versus what he had with the Red Sox. But anyway, I'm I'm uh, I'm I off love on it. Yeah, uh, let's play the numbers game. Number three. 
So number three is five. So yesterday, the uh, comeback player of the years were announced in both leagues. We had Trey Mancini in the American League and Buster Posey, who is now retired in the National League. So I was really curious about how many guys have won comeback player of the year in the year that they retired. So whether it happened before or after the awards announcement, you know, we won't get into those specifics, but won it in their final year of the career. So the MLB award has existed since 2005, but prior to that, there's also the Sporting News Award, which began in 1965. So if we look at Sporting News from 65 to 04, MLB from 2005 until the present, Buster Posey, Mariana Rivera in 2013, Darren Dalton in 1997, John Tudor in 1990, and Lou Brock in 1979 are your five players to retire after winning Comeback Player of the Year. So a pretty fun uh, award to be winning on your way out. And there were so many great jokes on Twitter last night of it being Comeback Player with a space between coming back as in, please come back, Buster Posey, which was also very funny to say. Number two. Number two is 100. So I know this deal was last week, but uh, Noah Syndergaard heading over to the Angels leads to a really fun note with him and Shohei Otani. I mean, Shohei Otani is in a class of his own as a pitcher who hits. We know that unanimous MVP, everything else. But before Shohei Otani, before we were lucky enough to get to witness what he did, Noah Syndergaard was one of these guys in the more Madison Bumgarner category of, you know, pitchers who hit who aren't also unanimous MVPs with the bat. And Noah Syndergaard and Shohei Otani are the only pitchers under StatCast tracking to throw a 100-mile-an-hour fastball and hit a home run with a 100-plus-mile-an-hour exit velocity in the same game. So uh, just a really fun comparison there. I know that Cinderard's not exactly going to get a chance to do that in an Angels uniform, but I wonder what the uh, dugout conversations might be about hitting tips because we know those pitchers love to talk about it, even if he's now in the American League as a D- and there will be a DH. Number one. Number one is two. So again, I know we had awards, but I still have these awards on my mind. And uh, I think this is one of the coolest notes. And, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. had such an amazing season. No question. Otani unanimous MVP. I completely agree with that. But, you know, I want to make sure that Vlad gets his due for the season he had. And I just thought this was such an incredible thing. So he finished second for AL MVP. His father, of course, won AL MVP in 2004. They're the first father-son duo to both finish top two in their careers for any BBWA player award. So MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, we can mix and match. Doesn't matter. Doesn't have to be the same award. They're the first father-son duo to both finish top two at some point in their careers for one of those awards. And I think that's really important because we talk about father-son things all the time. And there are a lot of fun father-son duos in baseball history. But this is the first one where it really feels like we have a potential for the youngster to also end up a Hall of Famer. And his father, of course, already was. So, you know, we we talk about others. There's Barry and Bobby there's the Griffies, the Fielders, but nobody has really done what the Guerreros have now already done. Uh, before I ask you about Stephen Matz, who, according to Joel Sherman, is likely to uh, get a deal before we get to the December 1st deadline uh, with the expiration of the, the uh, collective bargaining agreement. Um, I just, as you were talking about Trey Mancini, I was thinking about this. He's going to be a fascinating, and I'm not looking for your response on this. This is just me riffing. Uh, he's going to be a, an interesting test as well on just how bloodless the Orioles tanking is uh, because he's scheduled to make through arbitration 7.2 million. He's a first baseman. You know, Jesse Rogers and I were just talking about how the first base market is one that during the wintertime they've dropped. You know, we've seen home run champs who were first basemen non-tendered. Uh, Trey Mancini's uh, owed $7.2 million. Uh, his OPS plus, his adjusted OPS plus is 104. But we know how much he means to the Orioles fans, right? Uh, so I'm going to be really curious to see how the Orioles, you know, handle uh, Trey's situation. And, and about Steven Matz, I feel like that the Red Sox are kind of lying in the weeds. They didn't sign uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, as we talked about. And maybe Steven Matz, who's pitched in a big market, would be a good match there. 
Yeah, I could definitely see it. I mean, I think that Max has the potential to get a pretty interesting deal, you know, a three plus year deal here, maybe right around three years. And he's a pitcher who really proved himself, I think, this year. I mean, it's only one season, but, you know, he did not pitch well in 2020, shortened season, but he did not look good at all. Uh, But there were some underlying numbers that indicated that maybe he should have been a bit better. I mean, the difference between his ERA and his FIP or his ERA and his expected ERA. The numbers, the underlying numbers were still really bad, but they were better than the 968 ERA he had. And when he came over to the Blue Jays, he sort of showed that. So he had 382 ERA this season, a 379 FIP. If you look to expected ERA, which is going to consider that quality of contact, 409. But I mean, that's still good for a middle to back end of the rotation type guy. And he showed that he could, you know, throw those innings. I believe the only time he missed was when he was on the COVID injured list and he got to 150 innings, which is about what we saw for a handful of pitchers this year with the ramp up from 60 games. So I think he has the potential to really be a contributor for a team. You know, I think early in his career, there was a thought from the way the Mets were treating him that maybe he was a top of the line guy one day. I don't think that's the expectation for him anymore, but he seems like the type of pitcher who can give you a solid 30 starts moving forward. Yeah. And I wonder if the blue Jays, because they know him and they worked with him this year, if they, they could wind up being the team that lands him, but uh, it does feel like that he will have a a number of bidders uh, because he's not super expensive, like a Robbie Ray, like a Kevin Gossman, like a Max Scherzer. If you want to sort of work from that, you know, that middle tier, then he would be one of the guys. All right, Sarah, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, Buster. Thanks so much for having me. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Tuesday. We have Corey Rukert up first at Corey R underscore 12. Corey writes in, this upcoming Hall of Fame ballot is packed with great players. Do you think the max of 10 will get inducted? No, Corey, I don't. Uh, look, I, I don't think Bonds and Clemens are going to get in. I unfortunately feel like this whole conversation is going to go on and on and on. In fact, I, I actually think the class is going to turn out to be thinner than what people realize. I think Kurt Schilling's going to get in. Uh, I'm really curious, as I was talking about with Jesse, about David Ortiz and how the writers handle him. For me, he absolutely is a slam dunk, first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, Alex Rodriguez, you know, he is a member of good standing as far as Major League Baseball is concerned. Uh, you know, working under baseball's umbrella, I would vote for him uh, if I had a if I had a ballot. Uh, but I don't think he's going to get in this year. So we'll we'll see how it plays out. Our guy Reggie writes in at Greenfield and mine. Buster, I saw the report about the Hall of Fame ballot today. Would the best thing for baseball, no matter what you think of them off the field, be for Bonds, Clemens, Schilling, Sosa, Ortiz, and A-Rod all to be voted in and get this thing over with? Yeah, my, I mean, the way I reached uh, you know, where I was in, in the voting by the time I got done was just put the best players in the Hall of Fame who are eligible um, you know, to me, the whole question of whether or not you, sh- you should vote for them, you know, the moral question, it's a stinking baseball hall of fame. It's not a house of the holy, for God's sake. <laughs> Just put the best players in. And if they're eligible and, and you know what, Major League Baseball, the Baseball Hall of Fame determined that by a, you know, the question of whether or not they're banned. And Pete Rose is banned. He's in a different category than, you know, guys like Bonds and Clemens. Uh, He's never had his name appear on a ballot, and that's because Major League Baseball banned him, and the Hall of Fame's never put him on a ballot. All of these guys have been put on ballots. Alex Rodriguez, you know, uh, was just put on a ballot. David Ortiz was just put on a ballot. Bonds Clemens has been on there for 10 years. I don't know why a lot of writers decide they want to play morality, please. I just don't get it. Oh, and by the way, and sorry, I'm off on a tangent now. Let's uh, the, go. Okay. The writers, uh, you know, who don't vote for these guys, uh, you know, apply the character clause. Let's be clear about what the character clause is here. Uh, first off, there's no indication that before Mark McGuire's name hit the ballot in 2006, that the character clause was ever used as, uh, you know, a, 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 a you know crossroad for whether or not you put a guy in. And let's remember this. The character clause was written by Kennesaw Mountain Landis, who was a segregationist to work to keep blacks out of baseball. So let's let's not hang on this high and mighty character clause. OK, 
that is I feel like the character clause thing with the tide uh, to, to Kennesaw that that is like such a uniquely American thing like yes and by the way the baseball writers just dropped Kennesaw Mountain Landis's name from their MVP vote and yet you're gonna have a lot of, a lot of writers apply his words in deciding who's in the Hall of Fame it's stupid joke these people should be embarrassed that's me speaking next up we've got andrew campbell at real camp drew hey buster if you can look into your crystal ball and forecast any prospect from 2021 that could be an mvp candidate in 2026 who do you think has that future star power guys like adley rutschman and spencer torkelson are easy picks but what about anthony volpe hope i pronounced that correctly who do you think is part of this uh next wave here yeah, and Anthony Volpe is going to be a big part of the Yankees' conversation about shortstop this winter because they could, you know, yes, they could theoretically pay uh, Corey Seager, they could pay a Carlos Correa, but Anthony Volpe uh, is one of the shortstops they have coming up through the system. They love him. I was looking at an MLB.com this morning. He's rated as the 15th best prospect, and I'm also a little bitter because he committed to Vanderbilt before Vander uh, before the Yankees paid him a lot of money. Um, Bobby Wood Jr. Again, he's an elite guy already. I can't wait to see him play Jack Leiter because the Vanderbilt connection. It'll be fun to watch him pitch. Um, and a guy who had a taste last year, I think is going to have a high impact next year. Shane Boz, uh, for the Tampa Bay Rays. All right, Buster, I'm going to throw a curveball at you to uh, end the episode. We talked about it on SV Pod last night. The perfect Thanksgiving plate. We're not yucking anyone's yums. We're not judging. But what is going to go on your Thanksgiving plate on Thursday? Well, turkey and some kind of green beans. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's going to be my vegetable, my world famous uh, mashed potatoes. Uh, They definitely would be part of that and stuffing. And, and I actually like the jellied uh, cranberry sauce. Oh, okay. Okay. What about you? Uh, Turkey, definitely dark meat. Uh, I like to, you know, stake claim to one of the turkey legs personally, uh, mashed potatoes, some sort of bread, whether it's cornbread or maybe like a King's Hawaiian roll. Uh, yeah. and then I like something cheesy, their macaroni and cheese. It depends on what is going to be uh, at my uncle's house, but macaroni and cheese or my aunt does a good cheesy broccoli rice. So, uh, that may get in the mix too. Uh, minimal vegetables though, straight up vegetables on my plate. That is for certain. Nice. I'm cooking a lot of Wednesday. I'm going to be doing some cooking. I got a, a side dish that I'm going to try. And I'm not going to tell anybody what it is until I decide whether or not it's a disaster. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we'll check in on it next week. Thanks for writing in, everyone. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. And please follow, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show as you're driving to uh, wherever you're having Thanksgiving dinner. And enjoy the holiday. That's it for today. My thanks to Jesse Rogers, Sarah Langs, and Taylor Schwenk. Have a great day, everybody. Have a great Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Thanks for listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast. If you're playing fantasy baseball, check out the Fantasy Focus podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Baseball Tonight podcast. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus Chews provides one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews.